Welcome to this episode of the Beartown Road Alliance Church Podcast. My name is Pastor Isaac, and I'm looking forward to this episode of the podcast because it is our final episode in our series titled We Are Family, where we have been talking about what we do as a church and also what we believe as a church. And I really believe that today's episode will be helpful and encouraging and challenging to you because we are talking about episode two Um, on the end times and what we can expect, what we can be encouraged by, what we can look forward to as far as whatever Jesus is going to be up to. And I really believe that um, you're going to be challenged and that you will enjoy this message. You know, we often think of heaven as our final destination, but realistically, our destination is going to be on earth. The Bible has more to say about the renewed earth than it does about heaven. And so Pastor Dave is going to explain what the Bible teaches about our future home. And like I said before, I really believe that you are going to not only enjoy this, but that you're going to be encouraged and motivated by it as well. Hey, if you would like to know what's going on throughout this fall and also moving into the winter, as unbelievable as it is that we're moving into the winter of 2022 and moving into the new year, you can go to beartownroad.org slash events. Otherwise, you can visit us um, on YouTube or on Facebook to keep up with us and see everything that's going on. So without further ado, let's jump into this episode titled Our Final Destination. All right, good morning, everybody. If you're a first timer with us, welcome. We are at the very end of the series today, finishes up the series called We Are Family. So we're talking about what it means to be a local church family, because we are the family of God. Some of you are part of this family. Some of you are thinking about being part of this family. Some of you are just checking us out today, wherever you are. So grateful that you came. For the last few weeks, we've been talking about the various beliefs of our local church. Last week, we talked about the end times. and Today, we're going to sort of do part two of the end times. We're going to talk about how it all ends And this is our big idea. This is in our doctrinal statement. We as a church family believe, and we are looking forward to the day when our bodies, just imagine this, our bodies shall be resurrected, come back to life, to enjoy everlasting life in the new heavens and the new earth. That's what we have to look forward to, and that's what we're going to talk about today as we finish off this series. So if you were with us last week... Um, We talked about we are living in this season right now uh, after the cross of Jesus Christ that that we'll call the tribulation, Um, difficult times. We look around us and we see wars and rumors of wars. We see nations rising up against nations. We see lots of difficulties happening, and and we call that the tribulation. Um, And then after the tribulation... We experienced 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is the way the apostle Paul described it. He said, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, he writes, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air And so we will be with the Lord forever and ever and ever. Now, this term caught up is the Greek word harpazo, which means to seize or to snatch away. The Latin version of this word is the word 
repair, which is where we get the word rapture, right? So there will be a rapture, and it is debated in terms of what is the timing of the rapture. So there's lots of different views of this. I want to give you the two main views of the rapture. So if we come up with our chart here, we've got the cross, we've got tribulation. At some point, 1 Thessalonians 4 is going to happen where those of us um, who are in Christ or the dead will rise. We will be raptured up to be with Jesus in the heavens, and then there will be a great tribulation. This is what we talked about last week, Matthew chapter 24, where it will be unequal. We, we will never see something like this. It will be worse than anything uh, that has ever taken place in history. This is called the great tribulation. Some people think this will last for about seven years. At the end of the great tribulation, we have what's called the second advent, the first advent we'll celebrate in two weeks, if you can believe it, right? <laughs> Christmas, the, that event where God becomes flesh, the birth of Jesus Christ, the, the first advent. So the second advent is the second coming of Jesus Christ. He will come at the end, and uh, that, that is, that's, that's one of the views. The, the other view that lots of uh, scholars also subscribe to would look like this, where you have believers experiencing the great tribulation, and then the second advent or the second coming takes place at the same time. It's the rapture and the second coming are one in the same event. So we meet with the Lord in the clouds, and then we will come down onto the earth. So two different views. And this is the way John, in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, describes what happens next. This is, this is amazing. This is extraordinary. Here's, here's what he writes. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and makes war. So we just sang that song, the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle has always belonged to the Lord. And when he comes back, this is like significant battle, right? So John's writing to an audience in the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago. And his original audience, when they hear that term white horse, it's very familiar to them, right? They're thinking about in the Roman world where the generals would conquer a city, they would ride through the streets after their conquering. It would sort of be like a parade. They'd have a white horse. Behind the white horse would be all of the slaves or the, the captive people in chains. Everybody shouting, yay, save us. This is, this is great. Hip, hip, hooray. We just defeated our enemies, right? So everybody's got this, this white horse imagery in their mind. And during the writing of the book of Revelation, it's likely that the Roman emperor at the time was a man named Domitian. And Domitian was the son of Vespasian, the brother of Titus, who leveled the city of Jerusalem in 70 AD, where a million Jews were killed and thousands of them flooded the slave market. So John's writing Revelation, you know, you know, maybe a couple of decades after 70 AD, and this is what everybody has in mind, the white horse, you know, and, and this is great encouragement to the early Christians because they're thinking, oh, it's not going to be a Roman emperor or a Roman general who's coming to the streets on a, on a white horse. Jesus is going to be coming back in victory. Jesus is going to declare that the battle belongs to me ultimately. So that's the imagery behind the white horse. Now, yes, the question, well, when Jesus returns, will it literally be a white horse? Well, maybe, but this is apocalyptic literature. This is 
highly symbolic. So if he were writing nowadays, if he had this revelation nowadays instead of a white horse, John may have used a F-22 Raptor fighter jet. Many people say that's the the most impressive weapon that there is nowadays. And you can kind of see, you know, Jesus' blazing white eyes inside the F-22 Raptor jet. So nevertheless, the whole imagery is Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back in victory. He goes on, John, in this, this vision, this revelation that he's having as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit and writing it down. He says, Jesus' eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. Now, is he literally going to have many crowns on his head? Probably not. This is a symbol that he has authority over all nations, right? That he is, in fact, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He has the diadem. He is victoriously coming back. On his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one else knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is... John's favorite term for Jesus, the word of God. So after Jesus comes back on a white horse with all the authority and all of the power, now what John describes is this battle known as Armageddon, okay? And Armageddon is Jesus with his army from heaven battling all of his enemies on earth. And it's called the Battle of Armageddon, but it might accu- more accurately be called the execution of Armageddon because he's going to come with the word of God coming out of his mouth and he's going to defeat all of his enemies. Victory will be completely earthly, his. And then John describes what's called the 1,000 year reign of Christ. And in this 1,000 year reign of Christ, Satan will be locked up. He'll be thrown in prison. He will have zero influence on the earth. This is called the millennial reign. Can you imagine how much peace there would be if there is no satanic influence during this time? It'll be an amazing season, this thousand-year reign of peace and goodness and joy. And then John goes on and he says, when the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and he will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, which is just a term that means the northern people or the enemies of God, to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. So Satan and his teammates are mad with a capital M because he's just been locked up for a thousand years and he's ready to unleash hell. But here's, here's what happens to him. They marched across the breadth of the earth and they surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And this next part is awesome. And the devil who deceived them is literally the word devil or Satan means deceiver. He was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. After this moment, we have what's called the great white throne 
judgment. Now, I know some of you, you're a little concerned about that because you're thinking, Jaws? Like, is, is Jaws coming back for the great white throne judgment? Sorry, that was my dad joke for, for the morning. Okay, Here, here's the great white throne judgment. This is described by Jesus in Matthew chapter 25, right? When Jesus comes back after Satan is locked away for good, right? This is, at the, this is after the millennial reign, right? Jesus is going to come back, and this is the way he describes his entrance. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. And the great white throne simply represents holiness or purity. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then he'll open up the book. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, this is the most important question you will ever ask yourself. Is your name written in the book of life? Is your name written in the book of life? And you know you get there through the free gift that is offered you in Christ Jesus. And it's my hope that every single person in this room and all of you watching online, that your name is currently written in the book of life. And if it's not, you can get your name etched in stone in the book of life today by receiving Christ. I was talking to one of our staff members, Sky Tubbs, and she's like a, she's in the office, and I'm in the office working on my sermon, and she's a captive audience, right? So I'm like, hey, Sky, can I run this sermon by you? And she doesn't really have a choice. She has to listen to it. So I, I gave her my sermon, and when I got to this point, I said to her, I said, hey, um, you ever have an experience where you show up and your name's like on the wall or you register for something and you go up to the registration table and you tell them your last name and you're just hoping that your name shows up and when they say your name, you're like, Whew. you know, I got registered, that, that was good. Um, I, so I was talking to this about Sky, and she told me, she graduated from the University of Arkansas and she said that when she uh, graduated, they actually... Uh, engrave your name in stone on the sidewalk. And her kids love to go see this. This is literally what it looks like. University of Arkansas, you can walk down and you can see her name. This is her maiden name, Sky Ann Sandlin. And her kids are like, wow, that's so cool. Your name is written in stone on the sidewalk. And she got there because of her good works, right? She got there because she passed the tests. But you know how you get written in the book of life? It's through faith in Christ, the free gift that is offered to you. Now, the next part of this is it's the best part, right? Maybe this is the best part of the entire We Are Family series. And this is the part that I really want to spend some time on today because this is going to be awesome. This is how it all ends. This is our final destination. Here's how John describes it in Revelation 21. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Again, this is our belief as a church that we look forward to the day when our bodies shall be resurrected, perfect, renewed, glorified bodies that will be very 
much like the body of Christ when he rose from the dead to enjoy everlasting life in the new heavens and the new earth. So this is the final chart that I came up with. We have the cross of Christ followed by the rapture, the great tribulation, the second advent, Armageddon, thousand-year reign. Satan is locked up and thrown into the lake of burning sulfur forever and ever to have no more influence, followed by the great white throne judgment, and then the new heavens and the new earth that will go on, imagine this, forever and ever and ever. It will never end. Here's how John describes it in verse 3. He said, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. This is your final destination. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything The way John describes this is a heavenly city coming down. It's known as the New Jerusalem. And if you're the original audience of the book of Revelation and you hear the New Jerusalem, you're like, yes, because I love the city of Jerusalem, right? This is the the city where we go and we celebrate the festivals. This is where the temple is that represents the glory and the grandeur of God. And yet it has been leveled and destroyed by the Romans. But now there's going to be this glorious new city where there will be no need for a sun because the glory of the Lord will light up the world. It'll be a heavenly city. It'll be a glorious city where there will be no more pain and no more mourning and no more sorrow. It will be awesome. And here's how John ends the Bible. This is the very last verse in the entire Bible. He writes this. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Some of you are sitting there thinking, that's going to be awesome. And others of you are sitting there thinking, really? Like, John, I mean, did he just like eat a bad pizza one night and have a dream and get up in the morning and start writing stuff? I mean, is this really, really going to happen? Well, you know, John wasn't the only one to talk about the end times. He wasn't the only one to describe the new heavens and the new earth. Peter also described it. Peter and James and John being Jesus' closest disciples, being his best friends, who spent three years with him, who understood the way Jesus thought. And Jesus probably taught them about these things, some of which were written down, others that that wasn't written down. But Peter would write this, um, likely near the end of his life. Peter would say this. He'd he'd say to those of you who are like, is it really going to happen soon? Because it's been like 2,000 years. And it's been a long time, and I'm not really sure this is ever really going to happen. Peter, it's almost like Peter could read your mind. Those of us kind of struggling with, is this really going to happen? This is what Peter says. He says, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. Now, Peter, the the leader of the early church, one of Jesus' best friends, if he says, don't forget this one thing, 
You should listen up. He says, don't forget this one thing. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. In God's timetable, Jesus rose from the dead two days ago. Seems like a long time ago in God's timetable. Okay? He says, the Lord, he's not slow in keeping his promise. It may seem like he's taking a long time. He's not slow. Why? Why? As some understand slowness, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Everyone across planet Earth, Jesus has a heart that they would come to repentance and know him and get their name etched in the book of life. So we got to be reminded of this, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief when you least expect it. So here's the question. Here's the question. What kind of people ought you to be? What kind of people ought you to be? How are you supposed to act? How are you supposed to think? Here's what he says. You ought to live holy and godly lives. You ought to live holy, pure, and lives that are dedicated to your Savior. So yesterday, there was a lot of rain, and when I got up in the morning, I discovered that the rain was coming over the gutters, and I said, oh, I might have an issue with my gutters, so I got up on a ladder, and I checked the gutters, and I noticed that there were way too many leaves and all this other stuff in there, and then I discovered that um, in the downspout area, there was, uh, there, was, there was this right here. See that nasty... See that nasty-looking ball? And, and I took the ball that was covering the downspout, and I removed it, and the water just started flowing. And the water's just moving. You know, I'm moving all the other junk out, and finally my, my gutters are clear because I moved the ball of hell, <laughs> the ball of god godlessness and unholiness. Is there something going on in your life that's preventing you from the flow of the Holy Spirit? Is there something going on in your life that you need to remove so that you can do what Peter tells us to do, live a holy and a blameless and a godly life? Because, he says, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. That's the home that we have to look forward to. James says, your life and my life, it's like a mist that vanishes in an instant. But you will live in this new heavens and the new earth if you're in Christ forever and ever and ever. And I know it seems like he's taking a long time to come back. But bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just this is, I love how he writes this. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. So we got the revelation of John. We've got Peter's words, we've got Jesus' words, and he says, oh yeah, Paul talked about the new heavens and the new earth as well, right? This isn't just John's revelation, this is all throughout the New Testament, right? And then I love what he says about Paul, this is so good. He says, Paul, you know, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them in these matters, right, the, the end times matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort. I love how Peter writes that, because sometimes I read Paul's letters, and I'm like, 
I don't really know what Paul means there, right? And Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, says, yeah, sometimes I don't understand Paul's letters either. But he says this, but at the end of the day, right, this is the last thing Peter writes, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Amen. That is such good news. I mean, you should be so pumped up about this. Okay, I just, I want to give you a, a, a little bit of a picture um, of what it might be like in the new heavens and the new earth, right? So glorified bodies, renewed earth. I, I, I took some notes and I, I wrote this down in like 18 font because I, I can't, can't read very well with, without my glasses. So this is, this is what it's going to look like. No death, no suffering, no funeral homes, no psychiatric wards, no rape, missing children, slavery, or drug rehab centers, no racism or sexism, no muggings, no murder, no worry or depression or anxiety, no wars, no unemployment, no fear of failure and no miscommunication, no locks, no prisons, no fences, no weapons or violence, no pain, no boredom or anxiety or depression and no feelings of ever being overwhelmed. No arthritis, no pulled hamstrings, no high blood pressure, no cancer, no computer viruses, no weeds, no bombs, no drunkenness, no traffic jams, no accidents. Nobody will ever drive 10 miles per hour below the speed limit in the left-hand lane. No road rage, no road construction, no potholes, no septic tank backups, no droughts, no freezing cold temperatures, no hurricanes or earthquakes, no bad music, and no strange paintings. I hope there'll be sports in the new earth. Maybe the Pirates will finally win a World Series. And when you compete, you will experience the thrill of victory, and when you lose, you will be grateful for the opportunity to compete. There will be close friendships, no clicks. There will be joy and no laughter, no cutting insults, no sexual immorality, no hidden agendas, no betrayals, no anger, gossip, lust, jealousy, or hurt feelings. Focusing on God will be easy because you'll be in his midst. Our hearts will overflow with thanksgiving, whether you're working in the yard, listening to music, riding bikes, pounding nails, building with wood, painting with watercolors, lifting weights, or drinking coffee around a table with friends. I sure hope there will be coffee in heaven, and it will probably be called Heavenly Cup, <laughs> which somebody needs to buy that and renew it. No one will go hungry. Peaches and cream will always be calorie-free. Everything we do will be good and satisfying. We will never waste time because time will never end. And for the first time since Adam and Eve's exile from the garden, life on earth will be exactly as it was intended. That's going to be a good life. Is your name written in the book of life? Here's what Peter Marshall writes, author. He says, we look forward with joy to newly restored bodies and to living in a newly restored heaven and earth. We can love this world because it is God's. And it will be healed. Becoming at last what God intended from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. So we're going to celebrate communion right now. And there's a verse in Revelation that talks about enjoying the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I love celebrating communion and imagining us at the meal table 
with all of the saints across the globe, remembering the cross of Christ and remembering him coming back to restore everything. Here's what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He said, a man ought to... He said... He said, a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks the cup. So this is what I want to ask you to do right now. I want you to ask yourself the question, am I living a holy life? And am I living a godly life? And, and if I'm not, what's that, what's that ball that's stopping the flow? Confess it to the Lord, give it to the Lord, and ask him to empower you to live a holy life. And godly life. Take just a minute to be still before the Lord, and then we'll celebrate communion together. I hope that you have loved this series, getting to know the church, getting to know what it means to be part of the family here at BRAC, what we do, and also what we believe. And so until we are together again, I simply want to say thank you for joining in on this episode of the Beartown Road Alliance Church Podcast.